Hi, and welcome to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler, the Christian Productivity Coach. My guest today is Sue Salvamini, an executive coach and the author of Leadership by Choice, Seven Keys for Maximizing Your Impact and Influence in the Workplace, right where you are. Sue is unique from other guests we've had on the show because Sue's career started with 20 years as an officer in the military before she left to start a career in medical device sales. She eventually left that role to start her own executive coaching firm, Focal Point. In this episode, Sue talks about what her faith and her military training have taught her about leading well and thriving in the workplace. You can access the show notes for today's episode, including where to find Sue online at donsadler.com slash 043. Before we meet Sue, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by our free daily planning tool, The Peak Page. The Peak Page includes five different high-performance productivity tools on a single page to help you get more time, energy, and results in your day. Download your free copy at donsadler.com slash peak. And now, let's meet Sue. Hi, Sue. Welcome to the show. Hi, Don. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am so excited about having you on the program. I know we were talking for a bit before we hit record that we've been trying to do this for a couple of months, um, but you have such an incredible story and so much to share to truly equip our listeners. Um, and I can't wait to jump in. But before we get to uh, the main topic today, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and your story. Awesome. Well, thanks, Don. Um, so I'm Sue Salvamini, but I'm really a nicey. I married him. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He's a nicey too. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm here today. I, I founded my own company, Focal Point, about three and a half years ago. And that's after over 20 years working in, I was in the military. I was an officer in the military. And then I was in medical device sales and marketing with big companies like Johnson & Johnson and then mid-sized companies right down to ground level startup companies. So developing medical technologies and devices to be used in the operating room with surgeons. And I always worked on sort of the sales and commercialization side of the business. And just over four years ago, I had an opportunity to to reevaluate if I wanted to continue on that course and stay in medical devices or if I wanted to do something different. And that was, that was because my company was being acquired. And so I was at a transition point and by the grace of God, and I mean that, uh, completely, I, the Holy Spirit really guided my heart in my the next phase of my journey, and I launched my company, Focal Point Consulting Group, where I now get to work with CEOs and executive teams, coaching them, guiding their businesses, helping them create vision and culture uh, in their team and organization. So I work as an executive coach, and I I teach and create workshops and programs specialized for my individual clients or my my teams. I love that. I know that we're going to jump into some, you know, some meat of of what you do and again equipping our listeners. I do want to back up because to my knowledge, I don't know that we've had somebody 
on the show before who is an officer in the military. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that looked like for you? Oh, yes, absolutely. So I was one of four children. I was the third. And my father was a retired colonel in the military and an attorney, a self um a self-employed attorney. And the real backdrop to this is he didn't want to apply for financial aid and never wanted to disclose his income. (laughs) So all of his children, or at least the first three of us that went to college, naturally applied for military scholarships, for ROTC scholarships. I know this sounds sort of silly, but this is really how it happened. So my two older brothers both got four-year scholarships, and I also was awarded a four-year Army ROTC scholarship. And I went, I took it with the caveat that if I, if it seemed to fit, then I would stick with it. Well, a short semester into my school, and I I was a math major undergrad, uh, I found that I loved the military. I loved the, um, I liked the structure. I liked the honor. And so I went through an ROTC program for four years. And then immediately upon graduation, I was commissioned that day by my father as a second lieutenant and immediately started active duty and had the genuine honor of serving for the United States Army um, for four years on active duty. And that was in the U.S. And then I was stationed in Germany for three years. And, And from that, I had all sorts of training and obviously leadership and and running teams. I was a communications officer. So that essentially was the equivalent of Verizon on the hilltop. So when you went out to the woods to practice uh, communications and training, my unit, we were responsible to do everything from setting up satellite equipments to FM radios, to the landlines so that you had phones and fax machines and computers in your tent and you could communicate across across the country to different, um, to different units. So I was in the military as an active duty officer for four years serving. Um, and it was an amazing, amazing experience. And so talk to me a little bit about the transition out of the military and into civilian life. Was that an easy transition for you? It it actually was not. I was I was at a crossroads in the military where I had to I was either going to be essentially signing up for a few more years or I was going to be transitioning into the civilian world. And at the time that I had to make this decision, I was in the process of getting my master's degree, which involved a lot of hours of driving. So I would get it. I was stationed in Bremerhaven, uh, Germany, which is up on the North Sea. And my master's programs were down five, six hours away in Southern Germany that I took on the weekends. So what I'm getting at is I would get in my vehicle and my car and, and God and I have a pretty neat neat relationship because a lot of prayer and soul searching and reflection happen when I'm driving. And so I spent these drives back and forth down to Wiesbaden, where I was taking my class, really praying about what was I to do and and what were my, where did I see myself? But more importantly, where did God see me in the future? And through that prayer time, you know, it, it became clear that I, I desperately believed, uh, whether it was God's will or not, that that a family was something I would, you know, hopefully have, and that if that were to happen, I would probably not stay in the military 
um, at that point. So God really led me to be confident in saying it's it's time to transition. And so I made that decision trying to think, you know, one, two, three years ahead what my goals were, where I felt God had me or where His will might take me. And then I made the decision to exit the military at that point in time. But what was difficult about it was I really loved being in the military and I'd like to think I was doing very, I was doing really well in it. Um, And so the transition was leaving something that I was passionate for to pursue what I felt was a greater vision. And so it was a little uncomfortable. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And when my peers heard that I had made the decision to exit, they couldn't believe it. it. It's interesting. No one in the military could imagine me out of the military. And then fast forward a few years, once I was in the corporate world, no one in the corporate world could ever have imagined me in the military. <laughs> So I sort of, I think I fall into my roles well, or or God just sort of helps me. He equips me to be what I need to be where I am at the time. Um, But yes, so so I happened to get out just before the Gulf War. And what was difficult was when I landed at Fort Dix, um, I actually landed there. It was the first of our active involvement in war in a long time. So I was in communications and I got to Fort Dix on a Sunday and Monday morning, the officers all went in to be out processed per se. And I left the room momentarily and I came back in and my friends looked at me and they said, Sue, they're calling you for reassignment. And I said, no, 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 no. I've got interviews on Friday in Texas. I can't be reassigned. What do you, I thought they were just joking with me. Well, they weren't. Of the, the 50 plus officers that were being, that were exiting, three of us were being called for reassignment, pending reassignment for the Gulf War. And then they all left that Monday and three of us stayed at Fort Dix for the next five days. Uh, pending a possible reassignment. So I then had to make a decision again that Thursday morning. The uh, the the non-commissioned officer and the team asked the three of us, two of us were, we were specialty, um, we were in specialty fields. One of, two of us were communications, were signal officers, and one was a chemical officer. And if you recall, there was a huge anticipation that this war in the Gulf was going to involve chemical warfare. And because it was in the Gulf, communication systems at a very high level were going to be uh, critical. And the unit that I had served on was a very high echelon of communications. So we had some, some skills that would be very, uh, very necessary in particular for this new, new war. But I was given the choice. They said, you know, do you want to stay or do you want to get out? So I again had to revisit this choice and, um, I remember my parents were like, what do you mean you're, you might stay? But I, I said, so I asked, I asked them at the time, would I go back to my unit in Bremerhaven where I've trained for three years? And the answer was no, um, I would not. I would be assigned to a, a holding, basically a holding pattern. So at that point, I again reconnected with the prayers and the guidance that was to, to exit. And I said, I, I will, I will be exiting. But I will tell you, my entire unit went and it was, I sat for that first year and a half and watched my team and heard of my team and what they were doing in the Gulf. And unfortunately, they were all safe. Um, but it was a very, it was a really interesting change. I just really had to follow where I felt God wanted me to be. But I'm not going to say it was easy at all because I felt that I also should be there, you know? Um, yeah, I, f- I feel like there's, 
like right now, I feel like we're at a crossroads. Like we could just talk about that for an hour and the military and um, the sacrifices that um, that our military are making. Uh, I just feel like that's so worthy of an entire conversation in and of itself. I, um, but I'm also curious about this because, you know, for somebody who's listening, who maybe is not in the military, you know, we have people listening who have, who are, or have been, but for somebody who maybe isn't in the military, but can really relate to this idea of, I'm really passionate about what I'm doing right now. I love it. And I'm good at it. I feel like maybe it's time to make a change, but I don't know, you know, I'm struggling with that decision. And so I'm just, I'm curious about, you know, you're talking about the five to six hours in the car with God and you were talking about, I knew that I wanted a family. And so I'm just curious about when you came to that decision, was that like something that you specifically felt God speak to you? Was it more of a, I'm going to trust that this desire that I have is, you know, aligned with God's will for me. So I'm going to work backwards and working backwards. My life has to look different. I'm just trying to, for anyone who's listening, who's like, well, but how did you know, you know, they're in that, I'm not really sure what to do. How did you, how did you know? You know, it's a great question. And it's funny as I reflect on it, I can, this is the first time that, that I've even talked about this particular transition point um, in my in my career, and I've always been insanely prayerful. Um, always in that I, it's just a part of my. It, it, it's 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 dedicated time, which has evolved over the years to truly dedicated morning quiet time. But when I was younger, it was more of an ongoing constant dialogue uh, with God throughout my entire day, which it still is, but, but I can, I, I would be, but at that point in my, in my twenties, I was not sitting down with my Bible and praying with such intention to listen. So it was more of a connection. That decision point, I think was more of an inner feeling that I trusted was, was the Holy Spirit, but I, I wouldn't be fair if I said that I, you know, I, vetted it per se, like I did in the more recent transition um, when I made the de- this decision and founded my company. So really similar. And as you think, as I'm thinking about it, but God has always, I've always felt incredibly connected through prayer to God's will for me. Although it looked differently 25 plus years ago than it did four years ago. So if I can get like super granular on that, again, just um, thinking about the listener who's who's struggling with this and maybe they don't feel that connection or or maybe they don't, like when you pray or when you prayed in that season, and we'll talk about the different, uh, the transition into your own company in a moment. Did you pray, God, I just want to do your will? Did you pray, God, I need an answer to this question? Like, talk to us about what that prayer life actually looked like. I, I always, at an early age, I latched on to praying for God's will. And, and I said that because I, I vividly remember thinking that I thought I wanted a family. But I always, whenever I have a want, I, I'm very quick to say, if it's your will. Like I, I, I do pray for things that I desire, 
yet I sort of qualify it always with, if you've put the desire in my heart, then I trust that it will happen. If it's me with my own desire, I trust that that I, I want to do your will uh, ahead of my desire. So while, yes, God, like here I am in my early 20s, I really think I see myself with a family. But if that's not your will, then just guide me where your will is and I will be okay, you know? And And so it's sort of this like, it's funny as you look at it and reflect back on just your own spiritual maturity and growing. And that's not to minimize where I was, but it is, I, I smile because it's sort of like, I sort of really want this God, but I know if it's not your will, then, then there's something else that you have that's greater for me. And I trust that. And I've trusted that from an early, early age. I mean, my faith journey started very young, um, you know, just I was I I grew up in the church, but I it's not just growing up in the church. I was connected with great leadership and and youth groups and mentors and had a personal relationship very early on um, with God and Christ through prayer life and and just be being surrounded by amazing mentors and leaders. You know that that. That, that just taught me and spoke the truth and spoke the Bible, not their opinions, but really led me to seek the Bible for understanding. Um, use others that God puts in our path because God speaks through other people and situations and circumstances, but always, always ground in the Bible and the biblical teachings because it can get muddy at times if you're not careful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's so true. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, I want to touch on the second transition. I know that we're going to jump into, into the main topic, but um, I'm fascinated by the two different times that you faced a major career transition and how they look different. So when you made the transition from corporate to entrepreneur, talk to us a little bit about that transition and how you came to that decision. Yeah, well, it, it's funny, and I never, as we're talking, it's just so funny to to compare these because I have never done this. So I appreciate this space because it's it's just making my heart just open overflow right now. So when I, I am you know, like when I was at this crossroads with my startup company being acquired, what no one knew at the time was I was off the payroll, um, and and because. You know, you're, I'm a senior executive in this small company. You can't tell anyone that you're basically, essentially, we'd, we'd come way down on funds. We had minimal money. So I was now, I wasn't getting paid. And um, I'm a significant portion. Of, candidly, I'm two-thirds to three-quarters of the income in our household. And so financial uh, stress, I have to always guard that appropriately to not allow that to be my power and to let my faith and and God guide me. But I would be totally lying if I didn't tell you I don't get stressed out about money at times. It's so here I am now. The company is is coming to I know it's closing. And I've done very well. I have a, an incredibly successful career and lots of contacts and already lots of options to continue on, you know, either as a, as a CEO or in a senior VP or, or global VP of sales and marketing in some other startup company or even going back into larger companies with a very, you know, candidly high paying, you know, 
high, very privileged, top-tier job and title. And I said, do I want to do this? Is this really what God wants me to do? And I've sat, I've gone to church for years and years and years, and I listened to, are you doing God's will in all that you do? Do you honor God and the Holy Spirit and His kingdom in your work? And I said, I have a time right now to finally put my my money, my heart where my mouth is, right? And I'm at a transition point. And what would it really mean if I really, truly let God guide this, like with every ounce of guidance? And so I say this because as I think about it, I'm like, that was crazy. I mean, it's not as a Christian, okay? <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't say like, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm, I'm laughing at myself because I, I, I could tell the Holy Spirit was working because that crossroads should have come with oodles of fear based on my, my human um, side of me. All right. Like, what are you thinking? You can't afford to like, like do this. But I said, no, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> so yeah. I, I said, I'm just doing it. And I am like all in. And, and I, I literally, I had, I committed that in this transition time, it was time to dictate my schedule. And if I were to design my ideal week, month, what would it look like? And it would start with quiet time, intentional quiet time every day. For the first time in my life, it wouldn't be like while I'm driving. It wouldn't be if I fit it in. It was because I pray all day, so I'm praying all day, right? I am going to get on my knees every morning, first thing I do, in the Word, read, be prayerful, and ask God and the Holy Spirit to talk to me. And I went on this 30-day commitment that I would do this at a minimum for 30 days and just really get on my knees, be anxious and nothing, okay? Philippians 4, 6, and pray about everything. And so I started this journey of just reading the Word and being prayerful about what is your will for me? How do you want to use me? I know you don't need me. You don't need any of us. But how do you want to use me? And with that came, what are the gifts that you've bestowed upon me? And help me see them clearly. And help me understand how I can use my God-given gifts to honor you. And um, gosh, I'm, <laughs> and it was so intentional and so faithful and, and, and fearless that every day that went on, I just felt more and more calm and at peace as I was, and not knowing what, where this would land. And through that process, um, I, I prayed for 30 days and I refused to work. Now think about this. I'd worked over 25 years and I don't like to admit this, but I was a complete workaholic and I prided myself that I actually would sleep three to five hours a night for my entire life because I just worked and I was masterful at getting tons of stuff in in a day. 
both as a single person, then to a married person, then to a mother of three children under five, and then soon under, you know, teenagers, but I would figure out how to get this all done. And so here I am now not working (laughs) and just being prayerful and soaking up the days. And then I started in February that the prayers led me to connecting with people that God put in my path to start to talk about jobs and roles. And I think it was one morning in February, um, I was in my prayer time at my kitchen table. The sun streams in over my back deck. And this just, it just came to me. And the, the, the conglomeration of the talents and the gifts that God had outlined so vividly over this, you know, four to six weeks and the vision for how he wanted to use me was clear. And I, I had this incredible vision of my company, which was a company focused on working with highly impactful and senior leaders um, to help them be really great at what they do and to use my gift of, of experience, of speaking, of humor, and of God's grace to be able to work with these people, regardless of their faith, regardless of their background, but to help them recognize their God-given talents, whether they recognize them as being God-given talents or not, and maximize who they were and how they showed up in their work environment. And so my company was formed with very three, three very distinct pillars of coaching, uh, customized workshops and programs, and uh, leadership development and consulting. And I literally, at that point, I started to cry. And the next thing that just came to me was faithful and fearless. You will be faithful and you will move ahead with no fear because this is not your will. This is his will. And with that, there is nothing that will get in your way. And um, I have not looked back. And God has delivered in every way, shape, and form both in clients and in opportunities, financially. And I say financially, that doesn't mean in the way I might have measured it before, but I've had what we've, we've had what we've needed. And um, the faithful has, has persevered over fear. I believe with, with fear, you can't have faith. And with faith, you can't have fear, even though many highly, highly acclaimed um, and well, well delivered, uh, ministers and ministry folks might not always agree that I've heard some things, but I, I try to hold on to faithful and fearless and move ahead with his, doing his will and feeling pretty unstoppable, if you want to know the truth. We'll return to my interview with Sue in just a moment. But first, here's a quick reminder that I send our free coaching emails every Wednesday with tools, tips, and advice to help you be more productive from a Christian perspective. It's so easy to sign up. Just go to donsadler.com slash subscribe. And now, back to my interview with Sue Salvamini. I love that. And I there's so much about that that I love. But as you were talking, I as a fellow workaholic, um, I completely get that. And I just wonder about, I feel like identity for me has a lot to do with uh, my tendency towards um, being a workaholic, people pleasing and, um, you know, approval awards, all of that. And I'm just wondering if that time that you spent that, um, 
the 30 days, um, anxious for nothing. Was there any part of that for you that was a detaching from the identity that you had as someone who always excelled in the workplace? Yes. I mean, completely. And that's what was liberating about it. The, and, and like you, I, 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 I didn't feel that I thrived on recognition from outset, from externally, but I definitely have always had an intrinsic desire to achieve and excel inwardly for myself. You know, it's like my own little checklist at times. And I'm not going to say I don't have that today, but I, it, in different degrees, because I love to push myself. But now what's different is the, the, the so I'm vividly clear on the source of why I've been able to do that. And I don't know that I always was. And, and I also know that it doesn't matter. It's completely insignificant. Um, in so many ways for me. I And I think why I can do the work I do now, and I do it with a smile, is because I, and, and with, with coaching, it I have zero, zero concern if anyone ever says to me, thank you, Sue, you helped me achieve this. First of all, I don't feel it's me. I feel that the Holy Spirit works through me. So I don't, I don't need a name. I don't need a recognition. When I'm working with a client and I watch them um, progress and see them break through some major barrier and, and, and succeed. I can tell you in the old days, I would love it when my team would say, Hey, you were so great to work for. You really inspired us. That made me feel good. It really did. And now I don't even, there's not even an inkling. And I can say this is genuine of, of some, of caring. If someone says, Sue, you're working with you really helped. I'm not going to say it doesn't feel great when someone says that. But I don't seek it. It doesn't define me. It has nothing to do with why or what contributes to how I want to show up. Because it's just so much bigger. I, I don't know if I answered the question, but it's the, the status element of it, the title element of it is just, it doesn't matter. I don't care if anyone knows I own a company or not. It, it's just sort of, I just care that people, that God works through me to help people be their authentically best selves that I know, I believe God created. And my prayer is that they, they ultimately learn the source of their, their success and who they are, you know, as being a, a person, a child of God, an amazing God. Now you, um, I agree with all of that. And in my own coaching, a hundred percent, I know that I don't do anything. I feel like as a coach, you know, I have a system, but that's just the loaves and fishes, fish that I bring to Jesus. He's the one who actually brings the miracle. And I'm very aware of that. And I also always remember that quote by Mother Teresa um, on the Johnny Carson show uh, when he asked her about all of how was she dealing with all of the, you know, all of the media attention and her comment about when Jesus rode in on the donkey and everyone was cheering, do you think the donkey thought all of that was for him? And just that, that knowledge that it is always, it is always Jesus who brings the transformation. Um, coaches can kind of guide and, and ask questions and all of that, but it doesn't really, coaches don't bring the transformation. Jesus brings the transformation. Do you, is that basically what you're saying as well? 
Completely. Yes, completely. I was just wondering because uh, in my coaching, I'm a Christian coach, but you are sort of a secular. You do not position yourself as a Christian in what you do, right? It it informs all that you do, but you serve a secular audience. Is that true? Correct. Yes, and that was a big and that was a big um, a big decision point or challenge because when I first was looking at this and exploring coaching, that was one of my prayers is um, because I seriously considered ministry and I seriously considered, do I want to work, you know, with Christians specifically? And there's a huge heart and, and desire to, but the, the message that, that I heard loud and clear and it was in this process back a few years ago was God said, I will use you where you are. You know, Jesus went where the people were. Go where the people are and let me do the work. And so what's, what's awesome is my, uh, what I, <laughs> I can tell you, there's a part of me, Don, I want to work with Christian leaders and professionals. And part of wanting to be on this podcast is because I know the audience is Candidly, an open audience that understands the the, the spiritual, the, the Christian foundation and principles of this, you know. And honestly, that would be the the easy thing for me to do. But what's where where God is using me is is and again, one of the the skills and the talents that God has endowed and bestowed upon me early on is He gave me this amazing ability to connect with people regardless of where they were. And that became clear in my prayer journey and continues to be clear through my coaching. And even though I don't promote that I'm a Christian coach for Christian people, most all of my clients, it comes up in our coaching sessions about my faith. Um, and the, and in some, in some situations and even in my speaking and workshops, people have come up to me after and it's so funny. I know exactly what's happening. And they say to me, there's something about this workshop that was different. And, you know, I want to just talk to you and you didn't really say anything, but, and this happened. This was true story. I, my, my, Husband and I have started to look at different churches, and I didn't know if you might have any thoughts about that or about a Bible. And so, where that you know, how does that happen? You know, yeah. so so I laugh because God, the Holy Spirit, is working in and through and around me. And just because I'm thinking I'm speaking to maybe a secular audience, He knows He's brought that audience to the event. And he's working and they come forward. And this has happened repeatedly. Uh, um, so, but the, the, the message was you can do my, you don't need to be in a Christian environment to do my work. In fact, I need, I need and want, I don't need, he works through us. But I will work through you where, where you are. And so, so that's, that's the following. But what's interesting, Don, is, you know, often in my life, and I was just talking to my daughter about this, if I was faced with two choices, you know, I always felt that there might be an easy choice or a more challenging choice. And I always felt that God would, would develop me more rapidly if I took the, the less easier path. 
<laughs> that because when I was in more challenging situations, I had to rely on him for strength. So I've always tended to take what I would consider in a very basic comparison, the harder, more difficult choice. And it's not until just this moment, I never thought about this as part of that um, until we were just talking. And it's funny because I... I'm working in an environment that might not always be open to a faith-based um, coaching or workshop, but my my faith is comes it's apparent in my book. I talk about my faith in my book that I wrote, even though the book is written for a um, non-specific, you know, specifically faith-based community. So that's how I, f- I feel that God specifically has um, has led me to this space. And, and tell and us the name of your book. My Sorry. book, that's all right. My book is called Leadership by Choice, Seven Keys for Maximizing Your Impact and Influence in the Workplace, Right Where You Are. That's awesome. Um, so I want to do, in the time that we have left, um, I want to just kind of, one of the things that I was so grateful for having you on the program is that I love that you have seen leadership from three very different perspectives um, in the military, in corporate life, and as an entrepreneur. And so I I wanted to just kind of ask you again in the time that we have remaining, what are what are three keys, you know, maybe share with us three of those seven keys to effective leadership. So it's the it's the spoiler alert spoiler alert because it it goes sort of to the end of the the book, but well, I'll start. I'm, I'm giving you three and a half. Okay. <laughs> the first, the first one is you really have to understand your values, and as a Christian, and as Christians, we're so guided by amazing, an amazing value system that we, we've just got our heavenly Father and Christ to to guide those core values that that define how we operate, how we think, or at least what we aspire, how we aspire to operate, think, and treat others and honor Him. So having, being very rooted in your core values is critical to leading effectively. And it starts with how you're leading yourself. And and so when you can truly understand how you lead yourself, then you can understand how to lead others. And and then the the the, the, the two other areas are learning how to invest in your people, invest in their development, and and what how you help them grow. Because when you help people grow and understand who they are, they become loyal and they want they become almost servant leaders in their own right because they there's a loyalty between their own leader by title, but also leadership circle. And and probably the the third that I will give you is the best leaders that I've worked with and, and the best leadership moments when I've been at, at really the ahead of my game is when I'm listening. And that listening is multidirectional. First, as a Christian, it's listening to the Holy Spirit to guide me. It's always listening for guidance and seeking guidance in, in how I am as a leader, as an executive, how I interact with people. And then the second side of that is really learning how to listen to your people, listen to your colleagues, listen to your team, listen to your direct reports, and listen to hear them. And that means just 
listen with curiosity and be, be slow to answer and just listen to understand. And I feel that when we can get comfortable with our values and who we are and not worried about proving who we are or, or showing up to show that we're strong or bold or this type of leader or, or, and I say this ego driven or having to be right or, or demonstrate all of our knowledge. When we can really be comfortable with who we are and who we, and, and as a Christian and, and what are, how our values define us, it, it allows us to be able to help others grow into their greatness and listen to them and give them space to be heard, which is the number one, number one feedback I get from people is they don't feel heard in their work environment. They don't feel appreciated. So as leaders, if you want to be impactful, rely on the Holy Spirit to give you grace to be confident in who you are because you're perfectly imperfect the way God has designed you and we're work in progress. So be comfortable with who you are and just embrace the great ability to listen to the Holy Spirit for guidance, and to those around you that so desperately need a space to be heard. And with that, the answers will come in how to best lead them and guide them and achieve the results that you need to achieve in the work environment that you're working in. I love that because that's actually what God, um, what God shows us, right? He, um, there's so many times in both the Old Testament and, and in Jesus's ministry in the New Testament, he didn't come in saying, this is the way it's going to be. He was constantly asking questions. He was constantly, um, helping people to feel seen and heard. Um, and, and, so I love that. I want to ask though, I feel like as, you know, I've led in a lot of different um, environments and I feel like listening to people that is so important. And how do you balance the needs of the people uh, in your organization with the very concrete results that you're responsible for creating? Sometimes those things are at odds. How would you, how do you manage that tension? Well, it's funny being a, a results-driven um, person my whole life. It's what I always found was I I would focus on results from the perspective of from a from a corporate perspective. If we don't achieve the results and the metrics, then we don't have the environment to work in because it really at a macro level. <clears throat> excuse me, if you don't achieve the results and bring in the revenue or that's a result of serving your clientele and your customers. So it's all about service and, and providing quality products or, or value. If you don't do that, you don't have an organization. If you don't have the organization, then the person and the people, your team don't have a place to work. And so that was the message. And it was, but the, the, the delivery is from a heart of concern and caring that ultimately we want to serve our clients. And, and I was in medical devices. We were there to serve the patients. And we had an obligation to the patients, to the very outcome, to what we were connected with from a value basis to provide better quality of life for patients, to provide and produce the products and, and, and be um, responsible and meet our deadlines. It was an obligation and it was an honor. And it doesn't being... Um, open and listening doesn't mean that people can just flounder along because that's not being responsible. And Christ, you know, if you look at Jesus himself, you know, he, we, people need to show up. <laughs> 
you know, you do right, need to show right. up and be attentive. And there's a responsibility in doing that. And as Christians, we're responsible to do that, to, to deliver the things, to be held true to our word. And I think the fine line is when you're leading people, and sometimes people don't, and I had employees that I had to let go, and I had to move along. And my prayer at the time was always that, one, that they did know my heart, and my heart was for their best, and my heart was for the organization's best, and my heart truthfully started with the best for the client and the the, the recipient of the service. And with that, that it would it would come together. And what's interesting is I was... I, I was not um, shy at delivering difficult information, but I always felt that people should never be surprised. And so they always understood where they stood. So by being honest in communication about someone's performance and expectations always led to, um, for the most part, a mutual respect. And, and I likewise expected that from my peers and superiors. And I found that as a sign of strength and candor that I respected. And it, in the end, it, it, it resulted in results, but it was from a heart of honesty and integrity and being, and being honest with, with people and giving them honest feedback that I felt came from my Christian values, you know, of being truthful and being honest and straightforward with a heart of love and genuine appreciation for the person they didn't negate each other. You can appreciate someone and still tell them that they, their work, you know, they're not cutting it or they, or their work, the results are not cutting it. And how do we work together to achieve or how do we work together to find you a better fit? There's so much. Again, we could talk about this topic for hours, really. Uh, but unfortunately, we are uh, coming to a close. Yes. Tell us again where uh, the name of your book, where people can find it, and where they can find you online. Absolutely. Thanks. So the book is called Leadership by Choice, Seven Keys for Maximizing Your Impact and Influence in the Workplace, Right Where You Are. And it's all about not needing a title to lead and make a difference in the workplace. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Barnes and Noble. And you can also go to leadershipbychoice.com, which takes you to the back end of my website. And my website is focalpointinc.com. And that's point with an E. So F-O-C-A-L-P as in Paul O-I-N-T-E, inc.com. And that's where you can find me. That's great. Sue, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Don, and thanks to everyone for, for listening and, and continually working to keep a Christ-centered life. It's, it's such an honor and, and not always easy, but, but such an honor to, to do. I'd like to thank my guest, Sue Salvamini, for joining me today. Here's a quick reminder that you can access the show notes for today's episode, including where to find Sue online at donsather.com slash 043. The Your Purpose is Calling podcast is brought to you by The Peak Page, our free daily planning tool. Download your copy at donsather.com slash peak. This has been the Your Purpose is Calling podcast. To hear more conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. This helps us build a community of people just like you who are committed to pursuing God's unique calling for their life. 
I'm your host, Don Sadler, the Christian Productivity Coach. Thanks for listening.